Welcome to the Holy Sparks Podcast. Our mission is to illuminate the brightest lights in the Jewish world and beyond so that we elevate the Holy Sparks within us and make the world around us a better place. I'm your host, Saul Kay. If you're looking for inspiration, edutainment, or simply want to discover people doing amazing things in and around the Jewish world, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Holy Sparks Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Saul K here, super excited and grateful to be of service today with this very special edition. And I want to say out of the gate that we're going to cover some material that might be sensitive and difficult for uh, kids to handle. So I would definitely leave the kids out of the room for this one. And without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce and edify the woman properly, my guest, Adi Chayun Peretz. Adi is the Bay Area Regional Director of the Israeli American Consul. She was born and raised in Southern Israel. She and her family moved to San Francisco in 2018. Adi has over 10 years of experience as a senior executive for organizational leadership in both the nonprofit and for-profit worlds. She holds a master's degree in art therapy and sociology and has focused a great deal of her work on aiding at-risk youth. Adi was the COO of OFANIM and helped to guide the organization's mission of bringing education to underserved communities and children through the remote classroom. As a trained therapist, Adi is passionate about making a positive impact and increasing people's sense of well-being. As an operations manager and entrepreneur, she strongly believes in building and nurturing communities and organizational cultures. Adi has consistently chased her passion for connecting people and driving them to reach their own true potential and success. Adi, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So for people that don't know you, tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up and what life was like for you. Okay, so first of all, I was born in Ashkelon. It's a city uh, in the south of Israel. When I was a teenager, we moved to uh, Kibbutz Faraza with my extended family as well. We are a tribe. I was raised like that. Um, and so we uh, maintain that. Um, I had a very special uh, childhood uh, with a lot of nature, a lot of family time that was part of, of, of our family DNA. We Every other Saturday, we went for uh, hikes and trips all over Israel. And the reason we moved to Kfaraza is because uh, it was important to us to get closer to nature and also to uh, be part of a small community. Last thing that I can share about my childhood is that I've I learned since my first grade until twelfth grade uh, in art school. So art is very special to me; it's part of my life and my well-being. So, yes, Beautiful. I think that's in general. <laughs> Beautiful. And for people that don't know where Kfar Aza is, I think it's good to locate it in Israel. So Kfar Aza is uh, in the south of 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 Israel. Um, it's near, of course, Gaza Strip. I can say that the name, uh, when it, it was initiative, it was a very close relationship with uh, Gaza. People from Israel drove there, like shop there every other uh, week, and and um, it was a uh, uh, part of the life there. Um, it's near Sderot, near Netivot. There is a new frame, um, Otef. 
Aza, now it's Otef Israel in Hebrew, which means it's the uh, strip that is like uh, hug Israel from the south, mm. um, that I can say in general. Uh -huh. Got it. Okay. Now talk a little bit about your Jewish life in Israel, and then we're going to talk about Jewish life here in the States. So my family is, a, I can say, a traditional family. Uh, we, you know, celebrated all the holidays. Um, but in a, our family way, I can say that my, my, my father's side was very religious. He was, my, my uh, grandfather was a rabbi. He initiated a synagogue. Um, and he, he was, a he has a special writing, um, and, uh, a special man. We were very connected to the Jewish uh, tradition, but when I moved here with my family, uh, I discovered a new perspective of Judaism. Uh, I can say that in general, in Israel, um, most things are black and white. Not today. It's we have much more colors in the middle. But when we just arrived here, more a little bit more than five years ago, um, I discovered new colors of Judaism and new perspective. Uh, thanks to a lot of my friend and my the Jewish. Uh, American community, which was new to me. And I think that is fascinating. It opened up my mind. It um, offered me a lot of new connections. Uh, it opened my family up to this. And I think that I will add something that when you are, when you live in Israel, someone is holding, right? Something is holding that for you. The schedule, the holidays, the vacation, it's built in the you know, national yearly schedule, right? Uh, in Yom Kippur, no one is driving in the street. So even if you're you're not religious, you find your own path because no one is working, no one is driving. The streets are completely empty from cars and everything. Uh, versus here, when we just arrived, we understood that if we will not be active and create the story for our family in our house, for our kids, if we will not connect with the Jewish community here, we will we will not have that, right? Because everyone else is, you know, uh, living their life um, as usual. Fridays, Fridays, like any other day for them, and and um, Yom Kippur is not, you know, the, the state is not stopping anything. So that was a journey for Jonathan and I. And we had a lot of conversations, especially in the first year or two, how to create our narrative in our home. Um, and, and I want to say that we definitely found new, strong connections to Judaism, thanks to um, Jewish American community here in San Francisco for us. So, yeah. yeah. I like to describe it as when you're in Israel, you, you're held by the Jewish identity you don't have to do anything you're, you're exactly it and whereas here you you really need to push out to self-define right and pushing out could be connecting to communities making active social decisions yeah, one more thing about that that i think is fascinating a lot of people don't know there isn't a very large reform or reconstructionist or conservative movement in israel yet it's growing yeah. but I'm sure for you growing up it was like you know maybe dati haredi secular Mm -hmm. Those are the options, right? And so, uh, a lot of Israelis that I have on the show are, are are pleasantly surprised by the the varying dishes in the buffet here in in the states, and that there's all kinds of different ways right. to be Jewish. 
right? And so, uh, so that's often a pleasant surprise, and, and I'm glad that you experienced that in that way as well. <laughs> Tell people why exactly did you move to California five years ago? So we moved here following my husband, Yonatan, uh, postdoc in UCSF. I was just uh, living my last uh, position as a COO, as you mentioned, of Ophanim, the nonprofit organization that I used to work in Israel. And um, we moved with our two kids, Elon. Now he's nine, and Danielle, she now is six and a half. And we had we added another additional uh, uh, to our family, Geffen. Uh, she will celebrate in a few days, two years old. So she will be two years old. So. Um, so yes, uh, that's what that is the reason why we moved. And uh, since there, I have we have a new journey as a family and and as you know, in, in, in also in our career path. Beautiful. Okay, so you talked about this a little bit, but for everyone that's listening, this would be fascinating to hear about. So compare your life as an Israeli in Israel versus your life as an Israeli here in California, hmm. what say about that? Because I know it must feel very different and it'd be fascinating to hear a little bit about that. Hearing you asking that question immediately triggers me so many things. So I will try to choose a few of them. But um, I think that when you are uh, Israeli in Israel, you don't ask yourself that question, right? As we mentioned about you know, Jewish tradition, and, and and I think the same is happening there. Um, there is a lot of, uh, Israel is very, you know, um, active country. Everything is speeding. And I remember when we moved here, the first thing that I needed to deal is the inner, like my inner rhythm. I remember waking up in the morning um, in Israel, 7 a.m., the kids were already in schools and in the preschools and 7.5, I'm on my job already, right? Working, um, very intense, very fast forward versus when we just arrived to San Francisco, I was like, where is everybody? Like no one is out there until at 9.30 and why can't I have coffee before 10 and where is everyone, Right. And I, I felt like the way I'm walking, even talking, I was in fast forward. No one is running in the street. Even if you're late, you are. You will hold that. You will acknowledge that and you will deal with that. Um, and so many things were different in the perspective and the, the way I used to, be, to feel and be. Um, and I think that in general, you suddenly realize that you are... Uh, foreign, that you need to find your new path, your new identity. Mm. Um, even, even you know, in the uh, uh, Jewish community, in the Israeli community. But here, uh, I definitely feel that we found the, the, the a way to be an Israeli, you know, immigrant, acknowledge that, respect that, learn hear, listen, and uh, embrace uh, new cultures, new way of being, and also keep up the spices, the chutzpah. <laughs> not, not let it go, <laughs> but in the good way. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, beautiful. Okay, great. Well, thank you for that. That's really, that's really sweet. So one of the reasons why we were having you on this podcast today is because uh, you have a sister who lives in Israel with her family, and I'm sure much more extended family than that. And we're doing a fundraiser to help them. And so I want you to just introduce your sister and her family to our audience uh, in the lens of this. What was their life like before October 7th, just to paint a picture, and then we'll progress from there. Um, so before October 7th, my sister just had, first of all, my sister's name is Tal. She is, um, 38 years old. Uh, her husband, we, both of them are therapists. He's a psychologist. She's an art therapist as well. Um, working all their life for others' well-being as a mission. They have three kids. Uh, Yav, he's seven years old. Arif, five years old. And little Libby, she is uh, now three months. As I mentioned, for the last 20, almost 25 years, we were we live as a family in uh, Kibbutz Kfaraza uh, with also my, our extended family. And um, the life in Kfaraza are incredible. It's a, it's a very close community um, and, and, you know, um, supportive, happy community, celebrate the holidays together. Tal just sent me uh, a picture of event in Rosh Hashanah that uh, all the families and the kids gathered for a music festival and had balloons, white balloons that we, you know, ask, you know, happy things for ourselves to welcome the new year and we let it go to the sky. And um, it was amazing, and and every time, and and I and I see it here as well. But every time someone have, you know, have a baby, and the community support with food and everything that needed, it's a truly happy, joyful place to be. Beautiful. It really feels like, you know, when I went to Israel for the first time twenty years ago, when you went to kibbutz, it it had that feeling of really communal living. Everyone's looking Correct. at each other. Everyone is intentionally there. They're building the land. There's this incredible feeling that it's it's hard to describe unless you, you've been in it. But I, I think you did a great job in, in describing how the community really looks out for each other. And I don't know if, if our listening know what is a kibbutz, but um, imagine like a small village and it's very green, um, very, in, in one way, very simple, but very warming. Uh, everyone knows everyone. Um, and, uh, we always say that all the roads leads to the dining room <laughs> in the kibbutz. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's so incredible, uh, special, um, for me and for many, many people. So beautiful. Okay. So, so we're going to make a transition here and I want you to talk a little bit about what happened on October 7th and then we'll, we'll, we'll scroll forward. Yeah. Um, so on October 7th, uh, it was in our time, it was October 6, uh, 8.30 PM. It was October 7th morning in Israel, 6.30 PM, AM, sorry. It was the second holiday of Sukkot. We just finished, uh, our dinner in our friend's house here in San Francisco. Um, and uh, on our way back home, I immediately realized that something different is happening. Our WhatsApp, uh, tribe group was all over and the reason I realized something is different is because everyone asked everyone if everyone is safe and locked in the safe room uh not not only you know 
be in the safe room, but also lock yourself in the safe room. Um, immediately, my husband and I open the news to gather as much as information as we can. And um, it was very clear that it's uh, been, you know, um, Faraz and so many other um, kibbutzes and, and uh, spots in, in Israel are um, attacked by terrorists. Um, it was a, a lot like so chaotic and um, very scary. Um, we had a connect, like direct communication with our family through the WhatsApp group, but not all the time. Sometimes we were disconnected, uh, but everyone ran to the shelter room, uh, uh, preparing themselves for a few minutes, you know, maybe half an hour of, uh, you know, alerts and, and, and bombing. Uh, but never thought about the situation that we had. So they didn't take water and didn't take food. They just ran with their PPJ underwear and just stay there. Um, and very fast, they heard automatic guns um, outside of the window. My aunt saw even the first terrorists that land on the grass near their home. Uh, a few minutes after, my uncle and aunt needed to fight over the door with a few terrorists uh, Hamas terrorists that uh, tried to enter their shelter room. It was very scary. And I want to add from my perspective, because I saw everything during the WhatsApp group, right? To to read a sentence that my aunt writing, um, the terrorists were here trying to uh, open the door. Uh, we managed to block them. They are on the way to uh, Itzik's house. It's my uncle, because he lives two houses ahead. And my dad lives three five houses ahead so you just sit here and you wait to hear what's going on and you just try to calm everyone and to you know give them hope and strength them for hours so I just give an example for a few minutes but that continued for hours uh, my sister and her and her husband and and, and my three nephews um, stayed in the room for more than 12 hours in a complete darkness Two reasons why, first, they wanted to create a, a false, you know, um, like to make it seem like they're not home. And also, in one point, they shut down everything, right, for everyone. Uh, so that means complete darkness because you, sh you close the window. It's a metal, heavy metal window and the door, you have no light inside. They say that they just look at a small, you know, hall to make sure if it's dark or light out there, they had to maintain a complete silence and to be in a silence for so many hours with the kids. Um, I think that the kids realized really fast that something um, different is happening and they engaged in a very mature, not age appropriate way, right? They wanted to play, they wanted to eat, they were hungry, they wanted to go out there to play and to use the restroom, um, I don't want to be specific specific more about the things that they needed to deal inside, but uh, Tal and Roy very bravely stay very calm and try to normalize as much as they can for them. I will say that my sister shared with me that they did all that time Roy needed to hold for many, many hours the door, like you, because it's not locked from the inside. You need to hold physically. And she already started to think what will happen if the terrorists, because the terrorists always, like all the time, got inside and outside of their house. Um, a lot of shooting, bombing, 
they thought, what would we do if they were, you know, get inside? How would do we hide and wrap up the baby inside the closet? Um, they, my sister in one point started to be dehydrated because she didn't drink water. So she ran out of milk. The baby's baby started to cry. So she's, she needed to even hold, you know, something like some kind of um, fabric in the case that she will cry when she will hear the terrorist outside. So she needs to, to block her mouth. It's really important for me to share that because I was like back and forth about how much information to share. Uh, but I truly feel that this is, um, we are in, in difficult, very special times in history. And we have to, it's like our duty to, um, to be, you know, um, be brave. Yeah, to be brave and also to hear the testimony and to hold the testimony. Um, so if I will fast forward a little bit, um, in one point after 12 hours, the terrorists started to burn, set on fire the houses for tourism. Um, one is to burn the people alive inside or to make them go out of the window and then kill them or kidnap them. That's what happened. They start to hear the alert from the kitchen about fires happening and to hear the woods and, and to smell the, 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 the fire and the, the smoke. And when the smoke started to get inside um, the room, they had to choose one of two, right? To stay inside and to take risk of, of, of burning alive um, or to go out of the window and you know, in, in an area and knowing that all her, their neighborhood is full of terrorists. Um, they decided to jump from the window very bravely, barefoot, only in their underwear. And they identified an IDF jeep and they just jump on like my sister ran with the baby in front of her to make clear that they are not a ter terrorist uh, because it was so chaotic and so confusing and so intense. And the soldiers just opened the doors, let them in, and they um, covered the kids' eyes. Um, on the way to the jeep, Yahav, my my nephew, asked my sister Tal, uh, "Mom, is that the end of the world?" Uh, and when she shared that with me, I realized what he saw, right? And how a seven years old—he's only seven—how a seven years old um, can, in one sentence, just you know, create such a clarify framing to that horrible scene that he was seeing. Um, and the soldier just covered their eyes. They say, let's play a game that we are not looking from the window. Um, and they just took them out of, of the kibbutz to a um, supermarket nearby, like a gas station just at the end, like the enter of the kibbutz, uh, just to give like, like, um, a little bit more of 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 like knowledge about what happened in that three five minutes of driving. They had two on the way out. They have two Tseva Dom alert. That is the red color alert. That is the bombing alert. So they had to stop, go out, lay down on the uh, on the earth, cover the eyes, their their head, sorry, and cover the children, and then go back to the jeep, go out. It was a war zone, um, and this is. Um, that was our miracle, and that called a miracle these days, right? In our new perspective, and this is one story of so many stories that we had in our families and our community because we have so much community in Faza, in other kibbutzes in the area, so many friends. That's just so powerful. And so, 
the the IDF, they took him to a supermarket. And then where did they go from there? Where did the family go from there? You have to understand that the chaos was so intense. So they went out in the gas station and no one was there to, you know, welcome them, organize their. So basically they they took ride with a random person in their <laughs> PJ to the center of Israel um, to his sister in um Rishon Lezion area. Um and and they stayed there for a week and then they moved to um Farhes, another location that hosted them, family, wonderful family that hosted them. And then they move and they stay these days in Kalkul. It's a little bit norther than the center of Israel, um, near Netanya. And um, and I do want to say that the community of Faraza was settled in uh, Shvaim, Kibbutz Shvaim, as a community. So they're back and forth to Shvaim sometimes as well. Meaning that the entire community that's their right. designated area. Okay. Correct. Right. But after two months, it's very, very difficult to stay in a hotel room uh, with kids and the exposure, exposure of um, information and stories and um, grief in Shvaim is so intense for kids. So they made a decision not to leave there. They visit there and taking, they're still part of the community, but they made the decision to create the narrative for the kids as much as they can. I got it. Okay. So, so you created this fundraiser, talk a little bit about the fundraiser, kind of its origins, how it's going. And then I have a couple more questions for you about that. So as I said, in, in the zoom out perspective, there's a lot of um, need in Israel right now. Uh, I want to say that through the river of pain and sorrow, I ex- had the opportunity to experience um the most amazing human beings so supportive of the being supported by so many community members here and also in Israel so my friend encouraged me here to support uh, my family specific talent Rui as I mentioned when they jumped from the window uh they had only a you know glimpse of a look at on on their house uh, it was completely destroyed. It was completely uh, burned. Uh, nothing that you can save from there. They entered their new home uh, only three weeks before uh, October 7th. They actually hosted the second holiday of Sukkot until 2 a.m. And only four hours later, um, it happened. And I asked my sister, you know, you have, you just have... You had your baby, everything's so intense. You just move. Why did you host, you know, second holiday of Sukkot and cooked and, you know, did so many organizing for all the family, the extended family. And she said, you know, I was so happy to find my place eventually. Like I'm I'm there, you know, I have my home and I want to open my, my, my doors and my, my heart and, and invite everyone that I can. Um, and I don't care to stand and to cook and to be awake all the, you know, day and night to do that. And that symbols for me what is home and what is community. And we created this initiative to support them uh, to rebuild their life. If I will be more specific about the needs, as I mentioned, Israel is in war right now. We need to be more active uh, about uh, rebuilding their life mentally, emotionally, physically. And it starts with rent. Uh, that they need to do right now and they have no income and um, insurance that they didn't have in all the categories that we 
need and they don't and mental treatment uh, emotional treatment physical treatment uh, they cannot go back to work because they need to first of all you know treat themselves the trauma is very 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 intense um many many things are just now you know coming into the surface and when you are a therapist and psychologist like talent Roy, you you have to be responsible of others' life. So you need to be ready to go out there again. And their clinic, of course, in the South, they need to rebuild that again and, um, you know, uh, give their kids the best future that they can. So, yes, so that is in general what uh, my friend and I tried to create for them. Got it. Okay. And so you, you're asking for 150000 and you've raised 85000 so far, which is incredible. But this is what I think people don't often understand about Israel. I, I have family, a very close family that live there, and, and I know how expensive it is to actually live there. So for family right. of five, this would be super helpful for people to hear the tachlis numbers of, okay, family of five, renting a place in wherever they are, Jerusalem, Nachlot, Netanya. 10,000 a month to take care of that family? We actually dig into the numbers because I truly believe in being very, very, very clear, open uh, when, you know, you you ask for support. And uh, I, I respect and admire every dollar that people, um, you know, give their support and, and engage to that. And so basically when we calculate the numbers, it's very similar to San Francisco in a very surprising way. The center of Israel is one of the most expensive area in on earth, right? Um, and um, when you um, add to that the trauma process that you cannot function as normal, you cannot be initiative, you know, can, you need extra support. Uh, when you add to that, the fact that you need to um, start all over your uh, career, your business, your clinic. The numbers are much higher than we expected. I can be open and share that when we started, it was it was less, but my friends are very realistic and, and they know how humble and we don't want like as a family to be out there. And they said, you have to be concrete and you have to be uh, direct with yourself, first of all, with the numbers, because they need that support. The way the system works in Israel, in, in very, like, it's very similar, the uh, um, cost to San Francisco. So if an uh, average family uh, needs around 200K to, to make a basic year, it's very similar to that. Okay. That's super useful for people to hear. And I'm really glad that you did that because, you know, sometimes people think, well, 150K, that's, you know, no. So that's not even a year, ladies and gentlemen. No. Okay. So, which it leads to my next question. And, and maybe this is embedded in the previous discussion, but you said, we're trying to raise another 65,000. Is there something specific that that is going towards? Or is that still just general life expenses or? you know, so anything people should know about this next chunk that you're looking to raise? So it's, as I shared, it's it's going to be for the day-to-day -day life to rent and, you know, um, um, education for the kids. That is super expensive, more than we even thought. Um, and emotional um, treatment and to rebuild their life in that path. And all the treatment adding to that, it's much more just to give a little bit of, of understanding, every other day they are in uh, treatment, like in a, to just work on what they experience 
to gain again control about of their Britain like thoughts, emotion. It's very difficult. The frontal uh, part of your brain when you traumatize, it's it's block. Yeah. You need to work very hard on that, and and that's uh, that's refer also to your needs in your daily day life as a family. You know. Um, so, so for sure that cost is also, that the donation is also going to go for that. And in the near future, I'm hoping, um, and that's really important for me to mention, um, to rebuild their clinic in the most, uh, positive, good way, because, um, if we will, if we will manage to get them on their feet and 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 on their positive state of mind and i know what they created in other people's life um they they had the most intense cases so i know that if we will help them rebuild their clinic as well in the you know next step what they can do and how they can support the rebuilding of the communities and and other people it's going to be very very impact impactful and you know powerful um and positive so yes this is the future you know far future uh the the day-to-day needs if i will be more specific is as i mentioned is much more expensive that we ever could imagine that's super clear i appreciate that um how else can we help besides donating anything else that we can do i think that uh as i mentioned before just knowing that and seeing the people's how they look at us and how they offer their help like you just asked me uh that's the first step to say like this is my opportunity to say that i'm so grateful that only that uh holds for me a space to be seen and to my family a space to be seen and to be loved and the fact that you even take a moment to ask that question holds so much inside of it i think that um it's very, it's very um, difficult to answer right now, but because it, you know they they want to to have a normal life and not to be on the spotlight all the time, and it's a, a thick line between uh, connecting and and also um, staying sane and you know going back to normal rhythm as a private family and in, in their private space but they are so grateful and they look to hear from the community and I share with them everything like any there was a group of teenager here that hear that heard that Yahav had a large Pokemon collection that all of it burned uh, so they collected um, Pokemons and we send it to them and Yahav was on the on the moon like he was so happy and even if he didn't met those lovely amazing teenagers he felt them he knows he know about them i share with them with them the story and it was amazing and also you know my sister lost her like all her jewelry included her uh, wedding ring and it's small things that you don't have time to deal with right now, right? But it's it means the world to her. So we're working now on an initiative to to buy her a new wedding ring and to maybe make a small ceremony with Roy and Tal for the new life. And you know, um, it's the small things sometimes that can change everything for them. So yeah. Sweet. Well, I was just thinking with with Hanukkah coming up, 
maybe there's there's some gifts that I, I know my son is also very into Pokemon cards. So um, <laughs> some sort of gift exchange. So if you have Hanukkah ideas, reach out and we'll let you know if those are good good options to send as well. That's a great idea. Love it. <laughs> hey, beautiful. Well, as we uh, wrap up here, um, there's really a couple questions I want to ask you, and these are both very long questions. However, we can answer in brief. And so how are you dealing with not only anti-Semitism here in this country, but with how the, the news has completely distorted what actually happened and what is happening? And this is a huge topic, but how are you dealing with that? And by asking, I'm looking for ways that we can deal with it as well. You're right. This is a huge, we can talk an hour only about that questions, that question, but um, I want to... Um say two things. One, in a personal note, I want to say a personal as a, an individual, Jewish-Israeli individual, and also uh, from the perspective as, of us as a community, I think that it's it's unbelievable um, uh, taking, you know, my calm well-being when I see us needed to fight for the facts, to fight for you know, the, the information out there that is so not true and so uh, in so many ways, it's not only that we experience that. Now we need to uh, market it as a you know get back our rights uh, about the story. So this is uh, in, in very intense about the anti-Semitism that is rising and it's growing so in a huge uh, you know amount and the numbers are so high from uh, October seventh. But it's it's a it's a faith it's a phase of the last. I want to say two years, even more. I think that what happened on October 7th um, called all communities together, um, together as, as a community, as a Jewish community. And I see my colleagues work so hard and we try to connect and work together. And I am I have to hold hope, right? And I think that we are working now to create a clear story and be more active and engage the community in more than one way, working on the cases in, in happening um, on schools with our students, parents, universities, it's horrible what's going on there. City halls got gathering, but my colleagues um, and I are like, I think that there's a lot of things that needed to be done. And we totally understand that we need to be more active and create the story in the most, you know, smart way um, and be out there and like not to hold our, you know, silence and be just, uh, you know, quiet about it. We have to be out there. Totally agree. And certainly feel free to reach out to me. I have tons of resources for what you can do both on a local uh, kind of statewide and national level in terms of political action, things that you can do that take less than 10 minutes a day. Very easy to do, easy not to do, but this is yeah. things that we need to do. Yeah, we have we have a lot of initiative related to that uh, in the Hasbara, you know, uh, mode and uh, the IAC is a national organization that work on that. And I want to mention also the non-Jewish communities. I acknowledge the need to communicate yourself uh, with other communities and with our neighbors and to um, engage them and to talk openly about the story of, of, and what happened. And I think that that part 
is very, you know, stand out there as a task, as an mission as well, as what I mentioned before. Yeah, it's building the bridges. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I know we have to wrap up here, but I want to ask you one final question that I ask every guest on the Holy Sparks podcast. And you have mentioned several things that could be answers to this question, but I'll ask it again. So, <laughs> what do you feel the Jewish world needs now most and why? I want to say in the spirit of light of Hanukkah, uh, love, love is always the cure to every, everything, you know? Um, and I, I want to take your last word uh, with bridges. I think if we create bridges of light and love uh, between ourselves, uh, overcome our gaps and reach out to others, that is the hugest cure that we can ever ask for, in my opinion. Beautiful. And be together, you know, hold spaces together. Suggested in a previous podcast, we need to extend the year of Hakel one more year because we need more time yes. for gathering. So I want to <laughs> end with a blessing and uh, I, I want Hashem to bless you with strength in your work, being on the front lines and your family that they should receive over the amount that you're asking, an absolute abundant overflow of Parnassa and Shalom and the healing that they need. And that your, you and what you're doing with your family should be an example to other people that can do that for their families because they're also shy. They need someone to go first and do it in a humble way, exactly how you are doing it. So I appreciate what you're doing and I want to thank you for your time. I know you're very busy and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, so much for having me so much. And if I can be a help for anyone that is hearing us in any topic that we just talked about, I will be more than happy to do that. Thank you so much for listening. And there are links below to help with our fundraiser. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Holy Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Kay. Please subscribe. It helps the podcast. Share this with friends and family whom you think would be inspired by the content. And we will see you on our next episode.